right. Good afternoon. Welcome back uh, to uh, the series on types. And uh, so let's get started. All right. Um, if you all have been following along and been attending uh, these sessions or listening to them later, uh, whenever you, you view them, uh, you know that I said last week that we will begin our review and uh, probably finish up with um, that lesson today. Um, I've changed that one time uh, for one session. Um, there are those of us who have been in on the Wednesday night group for the last, we're going to say two years that we've been on these lessons. And I appreciate everyone who has um, suffered through that with, with me uh, in the adult Bible class on Wednesday night. There are those who have joined us from the ladies class on Wednesday night. Um, since uh, there is no alternative there, you have come and, and participated with us here. And there are some of those of you who um, have uh, never stepped foot in the building before. Uh, you are elsewhere. You are local, but maybe attend another church, um, another congregation, um, and you haven't had the benefit of what we have been doing over the last couple of years. And so I believe to get the full benefit, the full effect, the full impact of how important these types are to the Bible, to our understanding of God's power and His will for us and I would say importance to him because he has taken the time and effort and influence that he possesses to affect things that occurred in the Old Testament so that we would have the benefit of seeing those things mirrored in a superior way in the New Testament. So, what we're going to do is uh, take this week to cover probably most, go back and, and just bullet some highlights from each of the lessons that we have covered over the last uh, year or so, uh, closer to two years now, and then uh, finish up with those next week and then hit that final lesson. Um, I don't know that we would have had enough material with that final lesson anyway. It makes some good summary points and it has been posted. Uh, you have access to it, but you can set that aside for right now because you don't have what I'm going to be working from, so you just have to get, uh, you, have, you get to listen uh, to uh, us. And from time to time, Chris uh, may chip in something, um, and that is fine. Um, I may ask if he has anything to add to that from time to time. If you have a question, you might want to go ahead and send it in. Uh, Chris is monitoring, and uh, we can uh, stop and address that if you want. Uh, but know that our attempt is to cover as much as we can of the lessons that we have completed so far in this series uh, today, and then next Wednesday finish those out and then hit that uh, summary lesson on uh, on next Wednesday. Um, we start out with this. We started out with this series of lessons on types uh, by talking about perspective, and we looked at uh, three different eras, three different epochs, three different uh, time periods that the Bible um, addresses or covers. 
naturally there is the Old Testament. A lot of times we refer in our writing and, and in our sermons and so forth as the Old Law. Well, the Old Law, um, when we talk about that, a lot of times we're talking just about the Mosaical Law, what God gave the Israelites that He wanted them to follow um, point by point uh, as they attempted to please Him. But there's things that came prior to that. There are things that occurred a long time uh, before that, and a lot of things that occurred before that, which is part of the Old Testament. So if we interchange Old Testament and Old Law, usually I'll try to make that distinction, but we're going to talk about that time period, which is the Old Testament, because that was the first, those are the first individuals that we looked at. Then we have uh, the, the uh, first century. We have that time period where God determined that uh, it says in the fullness of time that he sent his son to this earth. Whatever that means, we're not going to get into that, but there's a pretty good argument that things were pretty well set up or conditions had gotten to a certain point that this was the most appropriate time for Jesus to come, for God to send the Messiah to Israel and to attempt to return them to their God and prepare them for this new kingdom that was going to be instituted by uh, the Messiah. And then, while we, eh, we're, we're mentioned in Scripture, you and I, not specifically, um, but uh, when it talks about those who did not witness, were not a part of the first century, uh, were not a part of the things that occurred in the Old Testament. They're talking about us, the, either the individuals who were living at that time who were not a part of that, that he was just dealing with a segment of the population, or he's talking about, and I think more than likely, he's talking about those who come later who did not have the opportunity to participate in real time with those events that went on in the first century or any of those events that took place um, in, the, in the Old Testament. So our, our faith, their faith in God is based on mm, different things. And I'm not saying that things have changed over time, it's just that things have been added over time. Um, we talk about a we talked about in our lessons a first-hand limited perspective when God dealt with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that was face to face that was first-hand um, that was right there but Adam and Eve I'm pretty sure did not have any concept that Adam in particular was going to be used as a a comparison for Christ later on, that Adam was going to become the first Adam and that Christ was going to be characterized as the second Adam or the last Adam. And so um, that real time that they had with God was life to them. It was important to them. It was significant to them. But they didn't have any kind of perspective of their experiences having any kind of implication further on down the line. We could look at Abraham and Isaac just as another example. 
Abraham is told to offer his son Isaac. According to the scriptures, we have no evidence that he said, well, wait a minute, why would we want to do that? <laughs> you just told me a few years back that he was the son of promise, that all that you had promised to me were going to be filled, uh, fulfilled through him and later on down the line. Why would you do that, uh, Father? And we, we aren't told that. We are told he goes and makes preparation and places Isaac on the altar. I doubt, I sincerely doubt, that Abraham had been told that, well, Abraham, I want you to do this, so I'll have a model to build off of when I send my son to this earth, and we will have this fantastic comparison to work through. Um, I don't think Abraham knew of that. So his, even though his uh, experiences and his connection to God was firsthand, it was right there, it was a limited perspective based on the fact that that was real time and all the meaning that he was going to derive from that was within that uh, prescribed, proscribed um, space there. So. We have their first-hand limited experience. We have those people in the first century who had the benefit of seeing and knowing all of those old stories, having them written down in, uh, in, the, in the Torah and so forth. And Chris can tell you what 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 exactly part what parts of the uh, Hebrew Bible contained what. But they had these this oral tradition, and they also had a written tradition of all that had come before, all that we have in the scriptures. Many of them were able to look at that and say, ah, here God has sent his son to this earth. Here are some passages to look at so that we can see that whatever God is offering to us at this point has a reflection point way back in a a previous uh, era. They had a better and informed perspective, but they were still, even at that time, revealing God's Word. They were, in real time, living the life with Christ. They were living the, uh, the existence of the creation and the existence of the church that we now are, can be members of Um, even today. So even in the first century, while they had a perspective about all that went on before, they were still somewhat limited. They didn't know what the church was going to be or look like or how it was going to grow. Um, They had Old Testament prophecies, uh, for example, in in Daniel, uh, where the the large figure with the stone and the the brass and all of that and and, uh, the features and that final uh, kingdom that was going to come and destroy all the others and last forever, that being the church. They had that if they even understood that that meant the church at that time. But once again, their perspective was firsthand, at least with the uh, presence of Christ, but it was limited. They didn't have the larger picture. The Word of God had not been fully revealed and recorded until you know late first century, uh, early early second century. But since that time, we have 
the complete revealed Word of God. People who study God's Word can have a second-hand look at history. We don't have that first-hand encounter with Jesus. We don't have that first-hand encounter with God when He was working miracles in the wilderness and so forth, uh, or the miracles of Christ in, in, in and around Jerusalem and, and Galilee. But what we do have is we have a history of that and a history of this, and we have inspired writers who have made those connections for us between that and this. And to our benefit, we have, as we said in, the, in our lessons, a 360-degree um, type of perspective. We see, we have before us the complete revealed Word of God, and it is there to help us understand God's will from the beginning of creation and how the Old Testament in so many ways was a type for what we find, found in the New Testament in Christ and in other institutions uh, at that time that we have talked about and studied about in detail. So when we talk about this uh, primary and secondary uh, interpretation of events, that might come up again and again uh, throughout a study like this because, as we said, individuals at that time were living it in real time. We have a perspective that is much broader, more complete, but we didn't, we didn't get to experience talking and walking with God, talking and walking with Jesus. And I think at the, uh, at the time we studied this, I said, if you had your choice, which would you rather be, now with a complete revealed Word of God or first century, we'll say, walking? talking, listening to Jesus teach. Well, I think a lot of us probably said we'd like to know Jesus uh, personally. I mean, I hope that if anyone ever asks you, who in history would you like to spend an hour with? I hope, I dearly hope your first response would be Jesus Christ. I don't know why any Christian would choose anyone else, um, but we don't have that opportunity. Uh, and they don't have the opportunity that we have now. All of that to, to say this, and this is a point that we made uh, during the, the uh, introduction sections, and it's a point that we'll make in the summary next week. It would be a shame. It would be downright, I think, disappointing to God to have children of His so ignorant of His Word that they don't get these intended connections. If you miss out on the fact that Abraham sacrificing Isaac and all the emotions that he went through, all of the connections about where that was offered, how it was carried out, what was going through Abraham's mind, and so forth, and at least make some loose connection to God offering his only begotten Son on the cross for the sins of all mankind. You've missed out on a lot. And I think God did this for us so that we could make these connections, see these types 
come to life before our eyes as we study them and as we review what took place in the New Testament as fulfillment of these, as we have said, many prophecies, these small prophecies. And I don't even know if many prophecy is, is a good, I think they're grand, <laughs> I, uh, and I don't think they're small in any way other than um, it's a point of comparison, and maybe the points that we have brought out make them more than just something small. So that takes care of the first, pretty much the first two chapters of introduction. We had a third introduction chapter which talked about uh, definitions, of, uh, definition of a type. We looked at the derivation of that word, uh, how it meant a, a striking or a blow to impress on a coin, an image. That was uh, one of the ways it was used there. Uh, that it, was a, it wasn't the real thing, but it was a symbol of the thing. It was a representation of the thing. We talked about the difference between an archetype and anti-type, um, or an anti-type, um, and even used the word, you, sometimes you will say, well, it was used in a typical fashion. That word typical means something to us. In a biblical sense, it means we've got a type going here, folks. We're not just saying it's, a, it's typical of what Abraham would do or what Paul would do or Peter would do. Uh, based on the, their personality that we have observed about, about them. Uh, it, there is a type going on here. Remember always that the type is the original, and it is inferior to that which will follow. And I can't think of one example where that is not true. A type is a shadow. We don't have our light on, but if we had our light on today, you might see my shadow behind me. Let's see. At, <laughs> let's create an experiment here. Let, let's see. See if we can create a, a, a shadow to illustrate the point. Oh. Uh, I don't think we're plugged in. I think you get the point. There it is. Now, I don't know if they can... Is that, is, do I have a shadow on my face from my hand? Yeah. Okay, somewhat. I'm not introducing a new concept to you. Everyone knows what a shadow is. So, when we say that a type is a shadow, it's not the real thing. It was real to them. It was real time. It was truth to them. But God is using it in a way that the greater, the superior, the real point of this experience lived out in the life of Christ in some form or fashion, his characteristics, what he did, um, what happened to him um, is what is important. That which follows is always superior to that which is the type itself. <clears throat> then lastly, uh, in our, our third warm-up, our introduction session, we talked about uh, why study types. Uh, and we've already talked about that a little bit right now. I think God intended us to study them. God intended us to know them. God intended us to appreciate uh, how he, I'm going to use the word manipulated, um, events and lives of people so that we would have these connections. Um, all of these are so we can have a better understanding. Jesus used parables 
to teach. And uh, it was a way of illustrating a spiritual, maybe even a difficult, um, complex spiritual point with an earthly physical example. And so sowing the seed, you know, teaching, teaching others, sowing the seed of the gospel um, and the four, parable of the four soils that we have um, was rather complex. And even his apostle said, what? What was that all about? What did you mean there? And so Jesus goes into an extended explanation about what each of those uh, types of soils meant in regard to receiving the word or listening to and allowing it to penetrate um, into the hearts of individuals. So it's a tool. A type is a tool that God has used to help us understand Him, His control, His will for us to more greatly enhance our love for Him, our awe of Him, our appreciation of Him, and ultimately uh, increase our faith in Him. Um, we have that enhanced perspective. We understand better the power and authority of Scripture. We also have good and bad examples uh, to compare uh, in, in these types. Not that many bad examples, uh, but there are, there are a few. So, as we uh, finished up the introduction, uh, we, we made some cautions about making assumptions that um, in many cases, several cases, we are told this is a type, this is a form, this is a pattern, this is a shadow. Uh, they use the root words for uh, type in, uh, in the scriptures to point us to the fact that it is definitely a type. There are others that um, are um, undeniable types. There's no way to get around the fact that these connections are not merely uh, our imagination getting carried away because there are too many of these that are point by point by point. And then there are others that, that arise that you, you, you say, well, you know, there's an awful lot of similarities here. There, are an, there is almost too many not to say that this was intended, but in each of these lessons at the beginning, um, I was careful to say, it says this is a type. It implies strongly that this is a type, or this one more than likely is, but I'm not gonna be adamant on all of the details that we look at um, with what I was able to find uh, in, in my preparation and my study. We also talked about the, um, I hate to call it this thing, this, the types of types. There is a, a person being compared to a later person. And in most cases, that is a um, significant Old Testament figure compared to Jesus Christ. Although we do have Elijah and John the Baptist as um, a comparison that, uh, between two individuals, two humans, that, that um, does not involve, uh, involve Jesus. And let me say that, stop right now and say that we will re-emphasize at the beginning or the end of our class uh, next week. Um, these are not all of the types that are in the Bible. I know I have missed some. Um, you have to cut off um, uh, an examination of types at some point and then just turn. Now that we have the notion and the pattern in our heads, 
it should be easier for us as we read through God's Word to identify some of those that we did not talk about and that we ourselves can work those out through uh, additional study. But we do have the person to person. We have a person to, and I, I, I came up with this brilliant word for comparison, and it's called thing. Really descriptive, huh? Um, I, I talked, I, I, I considered an entity. I considered a, uh, you know, other, other things, and, and thing is the most generic that would apply to all of them. So I've got person to person, person to a thing, uh, or it could be an institution. Um, and so the last group is a thing to a thing. Something in the Old Testament, not a person, um, but like the tabernacle compared to something in the New Testament or Israel in the Old Testament compared to the church in the New Testament. So we've got person to person, person to thing, thing to thing. Um, and most of those are going to revolve around uh, people to people. Okay, that takes us through the first 25 minutes and we've gone three chapters out of, uh, <laughs> out of 20. Almost so, there. <laughs> so uh, some of these will go rather quickly because I'll just highlight them, some of them um, a little bit longer, but we'll, we'll probably get through uh, a good 15 of these, 13 to 15 of these this, uh, today, I think, be able to finish up uh, the, the last few before we hit our uh, final review session next week. First one, obviously. Uh, first one, first human being that comes up in the Bible is Adam. Um, Adam is a type of Christ, and um, more so, depending on how you look at it, um, he's an anti-type, um, a, a figure that is a tragic figure if you're talking about a tragic figure in Greek literature or something like that, he has a fatal character flaw. Adam is God's first human creation. Creates Eve. They live in the garden. We don't know how much time passes, but they've only given one law that they cannot break, one rule that they cannot break. And due to um, something that I think God created in man, is this notion of, of temptation. God wants man to resist temptation and follow his will rather than man's will. And throughout history, us today, we today, have this situation where God wants us to follow his will. But too often, our will is what is more important to us, and so we push aside his will and follow what we want to do. And in most cases, those wills are at odds and we sin. We go beyond, we transgress God's law. And so sin enters our, enters our life and we have to take care of that, um, which we'll talk about later and we have talked about in these lessons numerous times. So God created Adam in his own image. We talked about what that image meant, uh, that identity with God, that, that spirit within man that seeks innately to look for and be subservient to something higher than himself. The spiritual connection between man and his God 
however you want to characterize that, that image. We talked about that, yet we said he also created him with free will, and that free will was his um, undoing. It caused Adam to lose, Adam and Eve both, to lose paradise. They had it pretty good. Um, got to name all the animals, got to eat of all the, you know, trees and, and um, you know, uh, their days, I'm, I'm thinking the garden even was uh, idyllic. Um, it was a garden of gardens. It was the thing that God created for man, specifically for man and woman to live and enjoy. <clears throat> and they turned their backs on him. Anytime Adam comes up um, in the context of talking about Christ, there are two passages that should come to mind. Romans 5, if you want to jot that down or etch it up here somewhere, Romans 5 uh, goes into considerable detail about this comparison between um, Adam and Christ. Uh, the other one is a parallel scripture. It talks about some of the same things. Uh, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And so if you have those two chapters in mind, whenever this idea about Adam and Christ and this comparison between the two and how what was lost in one was regained or found in the other, um, those are two uh, passages that uh, will give you just about everything you need in that regard. Um, I'm just going to read down a few comparisons. I'm just going to say, first man, first, first Adam, last Adam. Living soul, I'm going the wrong direction, so I'm going to start over here with my head because everything is reading over on this side. First Adam, last Adam. A living soul, he became a living soul. This one over here, Christ is a quickening, a life-giving spirit. Adam was natural. He was of this earth. Christ was spiritual. He was not of this earth. Adam's origin was earthy or earthly. Christ's origin, Jesus' origin was heaven. He didn't have an origin, but he came from, when he came to this earth, he came from heaven and was heavenly as a result. Man the rest of mankind naturally uh, reflects Adam. Not because we are born with the sins of Adam, and I can't remember if we, I'm pretty sure that we would have looked at this. There is a concept in religious circles that uh, all men are born with the sin of sins of Adam on his soul already. And this is one of the reasons why I believe infant baptism um, is uh, practiced is to rid that infant of original sin, the sin that was placed on him him or her simply because they were born into this life. That's a concept that's not supported uh, in the Bible, um, nor do we find any specific references to babies being baptized. Yes, a household. We don't know that there were babies. People have assumed that um, Adam's sin was so great and it was the first that we were all born with his sins on, on us. Ezekiel 18, 
Is that where it's uh, the sins of the father are not born by the uh, sins of the father are not by the son, not born by the son, the son sins of the son are not born by the father. That is a is a blatant contradiction to this idea of of original sin. All of us are guilty of sin because all of us fill in the last two words have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's where our culpability, our sinfulness, our guilt comes from is our own actions, not someone else's. So um, the fact that we are as much natural man as Adam, although his creation was a little different than ours, um, he reflects natural man. Um, we are saved by Christ, who was not natural man. He was born. He was introduced to this world. He experienced temptation, like as we are, but he resisted that. Saved man will reflect Christ, will not reflect the natural man. If we do our best day in and day out, we will reflect Christ rather than reflect um, Adam. We are dead in Adam. We are alive in Christ. Adam was, was head of, you could say. Um, he was appointed to take care of the garden, to name the animals and so forth. So he was head of the old creation. Christ is head of the new creation. Adam represents all man. Um, Christ represented all man on the cross and was able to remove, have man remove his sins through his act. One act, tremendous consequences. One act over here, greater and opposite consequences in the offering of Christ. This act was sinful. This act, offering self on the, on the cross, was righteous. This was an act of obedience. This was an act of a disobedience, an act of extreme obedience. This one produced death, judgment, condemnation. This one produces life, the free gift of grace, justification, righteousness, and the opportunity to reign uh, in heaven with um, God and Christ and all the saved there throughout eternity. Any thoughts you want to add about <coughs> that? I was just thinking when you were talking about um, uh, inherited sin and uh, that, that idea some of the power of types is uh, kind of illustrated in that idea of Jesus versus Adam because Jesus' death doesn't save everyone. It has the capability of saving everyone, Absolutely. but it didn't <clears throat> automatically save everyone. You have to do some stuff to get that salvation. Absolutely. Just like Adam's sin didn't automatically make us sinful, you have to do some stuff to get to that sin. Good point. So, I mean, it just kind of illustrates your point of types. Do stuff. Yeah, <laughs> do stuff. It's like thing. Do it's a very stuff. illustrative term. <laughs> it's like thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, each of those initiated something um, about which or of which we as individuals must participate yeah. in order to reap whatever is offered. Much better said. We, <laughs> we part I had to think. Uh, we participate in sin like Adam did. It wasn't his sins don't fall on us automatically. And we bear the consequences of those. 
Christ offers redemption, yet we have to avail ourselves of that. It's not automatic. It is a gift, but we have to obtain it uh, through things that we talked about in, in numerous other lessons that we have, and we'll revisit again uh, briefly. All right, Adam, down. Uh, Abel is our second one, and you would think, uh, uh, okay, we're not making very much progress through the Bible because uh, we've only made it one generation uh, after Adam. But this this situation with Abel was is an interesting study. Um, comparisons, just some overview. Uh, Abel was the first shepherd, one that was known for a keeper of uh, flocks and the sheep. Cain, his brother, was more of the farmer uh, type, the, the, the goods uh, brought from the earth. Um, Christ is referred to as the good shepherd. John 10, I believe, um, describes the shepherd in, in detail about how he knows his sheep and so forth. Christ is also referred to as the great shepherd. So you've got the first, but in Christ you've got good and great. You've got a superlative there. Um, and that which is superior to this down here. But there are some serious connections between uh, Abel and Christ. We talked considerably about the sacrifices. And, and uh, as you know, Abel offered of the fruits of the field. Uh, now Cain offered of the fruits of the field. Abel offered uh, the firstlings of his flock and the fat portions thereof, I believe. Um, that It says that that far back. Um, we don't know what God had told them. We know that he had told them to offer a sacrifice. I don't think mankind would come up with a sacrificial system on his own. God was setting up this use of sacrificing animal blood so that later on he could institute the um, willingness of his son sent to this earth to shed his blood for us and so that we could have chapter 20 in our series of lessons where we talk <laughs> about blood uh, and how it has been not only a theme through the Old Testament but we talk also about the, the uh, animal sacrifices in, in more than one of these lessons and how this was a type that God was setting up. Considerable detail in the old law, in the Mosaical law, considering how, how these sacrifices had to be carried out, what was to be sacrificed, how often it was to be sacrificed, and so forth. We talked about that uh, in considerable detail. We aren't told prior to the law of Moses what God had told them about sacrificing. They knew that they were to do that. All, almost every one of the... Um, forefathers, the patriarchs, offered sacrifices. How did they know how to do that or why to do that? God must have told them. So we start off with the assumption with Cain and Abel that he shared something with them about these sacrifices, that they were to be offered. Don't know how often. We only have this one instance. But he showed favor toward Abel's for some reason, and he showed disfavor or did not show favor toward Cain's. And Cain was extremely upset. We talked about the possibilities of, of why God um, did not approve of Cain's offering. 
And we talked about it could be the what that Cain offered. It could be that God said, offer the best you have and make it a blood offering. And Cain said, I've only got three um, animals over there, or three sheep. I'm not going to give up one of those. I'll just give the best. He made it, maybe made a substitution and said, I'll give my first fruits of the field and thought that that would, would do. Well, we know with the example of Nadab and Abihu that you can't offer strange sacrifices to God. You have to comply with what he has given you. And it says back in Hebrews that by faith, Abel offered a more accept, acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So where does faith come from? Romans 10 tells us it comes from hearing the Word of God. Our faith in knowing what we're supposed to do to please Him comes from His sharing that with us and our accepting that and then practicing it. So we can say, if nothing else, God had directed Abel to do what he did. Abel did it and he was found pleasing. Cain, on the other hand, it could have been the what. It could have been how he did that. Uh, maybe he didn't build an altar and he had been told to build an altar. Maybe he didn't burn the sacrifice. Maybe he shredded it up and threw it into the wind. I don't know what he did, but it, it could be in, in how he went about that. But we also talked about how uh, the rest of the scriptures, uh, when Cain is mentioned, how he is treated. Um, he's not not treated very well as a Jude, I believe, or, or in first or second or third John, talks about the the way of Cain um, that is destructive, self-destructive. Um, he is his deeds were evil, and I don't think they're only talking about the sacrifice here. Cain had some problems. Cain had some issues more than likely, that simply were manifested in this sacrifice opportunity here. So it could have been the what, could have been the how, could have been in the what way maybe his attitude was messed up. We certainly know that his attitude got worse uh, when he plotted to kill his brother and God spoke to him and warned him not to and he still went out and killed his brother. What God says to him is, the blood of Abel cries out to me from the earth. What would that blood be crying out? We talked about the possibilities. We talked about uh, revenge. Um, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he does revenge Abel's blood on Cain. Doesn't strike him dead, but places uh, conditions on him that make him dif make it difficult for him to exist, even in that early, early time period. Um, maybe it's for the uh, sorrow. Cries out for the sorrow that we uh, have, or should have, for innocent blood being shed. Under the old system, the old sacrificial system, those lambs, those bulls, those oxen, those cows weren't guilty of any sin that we know of, yet they suffered, they were killed, they bled and died 
because of the sins of man. Innocent blood being shed for the sins of man. And then, of course, we get to the New Testament with Christ. More than innocent. I don't know how it can be more than innocent, <laughs> but if there was anyone who was more than innocent, it was Christ. And he goes to the cross and is uh, put to death by those individuals who um, didn't believe that he was the Son of God. Or if they did, they didn't want to give in to what he was requiring them to do. We talked about what is a martyr and, and, and talked about the condition of the martyr, the condition of the slayers, and the fact that uh, Abel's blood did cry out. And it continues to speak. Uh, Hebrews even says that his blood continues to speak even mm -hmm. though he is dead. So what does it speak? It speaks that innocent blood will be persecuted. Innocent blood will be shed. And innocent blood was shed in a horrifically marvelous way in Christ, dying on the cross uh, for our sins. So that takes care of Abel. Anything else you want to say about Abel? Nope. Isaac is the next one that we look at. Uh, the births of both Jesus and Isaac were miraculous. You know the situation with uh, Abraham and, and Sarah and how she was barren and then he was 100 years old, she was 90, way past childbearing age. Uh, she had a child uh, through Hagar, uh, her handmaiden, and they thought that they would fix the fact that God had not blessed them with the child that he had promised <laughs> to them. Uh, and that's never a good idea. Um, so uh, eventually Sarah is with child, and this is the child of promise. This is the one through whom uh, the blessings that God had already told Abraham he, he would make happen in Abraham and in his seed um, through whom these blessings were going to come after Abraham was, was, was dead. Um, and then, as we said earlier, God one day comes to Abraham and says, take your, Isaac, your son Isaac and sacrifice him. That's a, that's a toughie. I, I, don't know, I don't know what went through Abraham's mind. We do know that wherever he uh, took him was a three days journey. Um, during those three days, we talked about this notion that he, Isaac, in Abraham's mind, was dead. He was going to sacrifice Isaac. He didn't know how God was going to make it happen. He, he, it even says later that in his mind, God would raise Isaac from the dead. So maybe that's how it's going to happen. For what reason God is doing this, Abraham didn't know. He just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And so he takes Isaac. But during that three days, he, uh, in Abraham's mind, was dead. Christ was dead for three days connection there, and we'll list, list a few others. They were both children of promise. Uh, Isaac, the promises that were fulfilled in Isaac could compare in no possible ways to all of the promise that was fulfilled in uh, the child Christ um, as he became older and started his ministry and did what he did for mankind. The sacrifices are the key point of connection. Both births were foretold, both births were miraculous, 
Uh, both were only begotten sons. Abraham had another son, but it wasn't the child of promise, and it didn't come through Sarah, his wife. Uh, both were mocked by their brothers. Ishmael mocked Isaac, even to the point where Sarah had Abraham kick Hagar and Ishmael out of, of their, their existence there. We know that Jesus' brothers came to him and tried to pull him away from the people he was teaching because they thought he was insane. They thought there was something wrong with him. So, and it could be that, that involved in that as well were, was some mocking, not just concern on their part. Both fostered laws, yeah, patri patriarchal laws or the, the law that came through Abraham to Moses uh, and the Israelites, uh, the descendants of Abraham, um, was a law. Christ had his law. Both were sacrificed by the fathers. Both were dead for three days. Both were obedient even to the point of death. We talked about the fact that Isaac could have been, you know, a, a 15, strapping 15-year-old, and, and Abraham by that time was about 115, 120, something like that. He could have even been a young man, and yet he asked his father, um, I see the sacrifice, I see the altar, I see the wood, I don't see the, the, the ram, the, you know, the sacrifice itself. Abraham says, God will provide. By the way, get up on this altar. <laughs> and uh, Isaac could have resisted. We aren't told that he did, even to the point where Abraham raises the knife and begins to bring it down. And then God stops the situation. Um, both were dead for three days. Both were even to the point uh, obedient to the death. Both carried that which would kill them. I never thought of this one, and this may not even been intended. I don't know. But when, when they get to the place where they're going, uh, he tells Abraham tells the two servants, stay here, the lad and I will return. He knows he's going up there to kill his son, and he says, the lad and I will return. So it must be that he thinks right after I kill him, God's going to raise him from the dead, and for whatever purposes we're doing this, <laughs> you know, I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, but Isaac carries the wood. They have brought wood with them up on top of the mountain. Maybe there's, there's no wood. So they bring the wood. Isaac carries the wood that will be um, part of his undoing. Um, Jesus carried his cross to Calvary. It was wood, and I don't know if this this is one of those connections that that I read about. And I went, I think that was intended. I don't know. Um, they could have the, the the donkeys or whatever they would. I don't know that the donkeys couldn't have continued to carry the wood. I don't know if that was intended by God. Anyway, I'll throw it out there for you. Both uh, sacrifices concern, uh, occurred in the same geographical region. I didn't know that before I got into this study. Three days' journey from where Abraham was was in the uh, in the Mor Mount Moriah. Mm -hmm. Was that what it was? And that is the same uh, range of mountains, and possibly even the same mountain that Jesus um, is it Gol uh, Golgotha, mm -hmm. okay, uh, or Calvary, up on that mount where Jesus was sacrificed. That's not coincidence. <laughs> the wood might be. That's not coincidence. Uh, both were sacrificed, and both would rise again. Um, actually, Isaac was never killed, but as we said, in Abraham's mind, Isaac was dead. And we know that Christ rose again. Okay, Moses. 
Uh, we got about 10 minutes. I'm going to try to make it through uh, at least three or four of these in that in that 10 minutes that we've got. Moses. Um, commonalities, once again, early in life, both uh, were under the threat of death, even as they were being born. Uh, born uh, Pharaoh was trying to whittle down the number of Israelites because they uh, the women were so lively and, and gave birth so quickly that supposedly uh, the, the how, what wives, what are they midwives? called? Midwives. Midwives. <laughs> All I could think of was stepwives, and that's not it. Uh, the midwives said, oh, here they are. It's already alive, you know. And so they went out and, and killed uh, all the male children, same uh, threat of uh, Christ, but different conditions. Uh, the uh, wise men come and uh, tell Herod that they're seeking a new king that's been born. And Herod goes, oh, a king. Oh, well, why don't you just, when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can come and worship him. No, Snake Herod, <laughs> Herod wanted to kill them. And in order, when they did not come back, what he did was he had anyone from two years old down killed. Um, males, all the males, and so uh, Jesus' family was directed by God to head down toward Egypt until uh, that threat was over. So both of them entered this world uh, with that threat. Among other things, both were commissioned to save their people. Moses, as you know, had to leave Egypt. He rose to be second, uh, you know, uh, son of, of Pharaoh. Um, or grandson of Pharaoh, I guess it would have been, um, and was very high in, in Pharaoh's house. He ended up defending an Israelite uh, and killing a, a, an Egyptian uh, slave driver, and uh, it was found out, and so he had to leave. So he leaves, I believe, for about 40 years, and after uh, that time period, God comes to him and says, uh, Moses, I want you to go back and lead your children, lead my people out of Israel. And uh, Moses does everything he can to get out of this, but God says, no, you're going to go. I'm going to make it all right, and here's how it's going to work, and so forth. So Moses does so, goes back. Jesus was sent to seek and save the lost, first to the household of Israel, to save his people. Jesus was commissioned. He was sent from heaven. Those words, I believe, are used in, in Scripture. Both were lawgivers, uh, Mosaical law, uh, detailed and uh, to the nth degree Christ's law which promises so much more than the law of Moses and we talked about uh, talked about that as well and uh, much of the old law is reflected in Christ and is superior um, because Christ is superior and Christ's law is superior Christ's covenant is superior all those things that we talked about lesson eight Joseph I found online that someone had uh, listed uh, some points of comparison, and you know, yeah, okay. There's there. I would have thought ahead, uh, you know, uh, before I studied this that yeah, there's maybe some comparisons there, but 38 different points of comparison. Some that I had never even considered. Some that may not actually have been intended. Granted, but it is amazing that list of. And if anybody wants any of these, if any, let me stop and say this. For any of you who were not a part of this and didn't have a hard copy that we gave out in the class, if you would like a copy of, of these lessons, I can send them to you in a, in a Word document, an email attachment, and you'll have them. Please know that you'll be printing out 128 pages. Um, 
these lessons are thorough and they're long and and um, I am not gifted with the blessing of of conciseness. Uh, <laughs> I I believe in order to um, say something, I tell this to my my students, my, my graduate students all the time, in order to say something, you have to say something. You have to use words in order to be clear. And, and in my penchant for uh, being as clear as I can and, and giving as many details as I can to illustrate a point, I am guilty of probably going overboard uh, in some of those cases. Uh, but it's 128 pages long, but uh, I believe it's, it's, uh, it's got an awful lot of really good stuff in there. Um, 38 points. lot of, of similarities here. Miraculous births, Joseph's, um, opened uh, Rachel's womb, mm -hmm. finally. Uh, both were favored son, in whom I am well pleased, is a, is a, uh, a phrase that God uses more than once with Christ. Um, hated by his brothers, you know, we talked about that a while ago. Um, not only his brethren, um, not only his family, but Jesus was hated by the brethren, uh, his Jews, the ones he came, came to save as well. Miracul miracles were uh, important in both of their successes um, and helped, uh, helped them achieve what they might not have otherwise been able to achieve. If Christ did not have the miracles, he would have had to rely on Old Testament prophecy and how he was uh, fulfilling those. They're not as convincing as a sign, a miracle, and a wonder. Uh, and those are the things that Jesus used to get people's attention so that he could teach them the life-giving words that he had to offer. Both were unjustly accused. Uh, we have Joseph with Potiphar's wife and convicted. Um, Jesus, we know, was unjustly accused, even to the point where they had, they had to hire people to come in and, and, and say lies about him during his trial. Um, both of them acknowledged God's influence in what took place in and around them and their lives. And both of them exhibited extreme forgiveness and redemption to those who had persecuted them. We won't go into the details of that. Lesson nine. David, the prophecy of David's house being restored, Israel being restored, and the, quote, throne of David being um, once again what it was when Israel was at its height was fulfilled in Jesus. Not in the way they thought not in the way that David's throne and David's kingdom worked or overcame. Christ's kingdom was not of this earth, as he said. Um, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have totally wiped out uh, Rome and anybody else that stood in the way. That was not the nature of his kingdom. Yet, he is referred to as Son of David. And when anybody used Son of David as um, a descriptor of anyone, it was referring to that Messiah who was promised, that was fulfilled in Jesus, but who the Jews rejected. Uh, once again, they were both shepherds. Um, 
David was a shepherd like Abel. They were both anointed ones. David's brothers all got passed up. And was it Samuel or Nathan that made Samuel, Samuel anointed um, David as the next king, even while Saul was in decline. And we know that there was a lot of stuff that went on uh, between the two of those. Christ. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, mm -hmm. which means anointed one uh, or the anointed. Uh, David prepared, made all the preparations for the temple. Uh, Christ was the new and better temple. That access to God, that uh, God on earth that uh, was not in effect in any other way other than through the presence of God over with the pillar of cloud and fire over the tabernacle and over the temple. Jesus came in bodily form and was God on earth. He was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And they were both kings and both conquerors. <clears throat> All right, we made it through uh, lesson nine. We're about out of time. Uh, we will talk also um, in next week about uh, Jonah um, as a type. Uh, we're going to talk about um, that will be the last one of the comparisons of Christ. Not that there aren't others, but those are the ones that we covered. Elijah and John the Baptist. We're going to talk about the Passover and how that is reflected so strongly in Jesus Christ. The tabernacle. I was blown away uh, by, by all that we found in that study. Manna and water in the wilderness and how Christ refers to him at himself as the bread of life and the water of eternal life. The priesthoods, Melchizedek, Aaron, Christ, Israel and the church, Canaan and heaven, on and on and on. But we will do our best to save time next week. I promise next week will be our last uh, session uh, on this topic and we will hit the points that are in uh, our summary chapter uh, next week as well after we um, hit some highlights of some of these other lessons. Talk back to us. What's your favorite Do type? So. Uh, what's your favorite type before we head off? Do you have a favorite? Which one's been the most poignant? Spoke to you the best? I think the you? one that one that touches me uh, the most deeply is Abraham and Isaac. Yeah. The one that is on that is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I was going to say, when God was thinking these things up. Of course, he had them all right. planned out. Right. But, oh, he, I, I, if I were God, I would say, oh, here's a good one. Right. You know, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. And God didn't do that. But if looking through as from the eyes of a human, I would say that <clears throat> that one has, has more uh, depth of meaning. It, it grabs me by the shoulders and says, look at what God is doing here. Look at what he's doing here make those connections yeah. and and that one is probably the most emotional one for me i don't yeah. know if it's my favorite but it's it's the most emotional yeah well when you get back to the passover and and the lord's supper and and all of that kind of stuff um it, it blows me away mm -hmm. that's what i was thinking my favorite is probably the passover specifically yeah. passover lamb is just so profound it covers it so much area you know in, it's true. in scripture 
Anyhow, let us know what your favorite is. We'll continue this uh, series. Or if you have any questions that you would like answered. Yes. Um, now we're hitting these, brushing over them because we cover them in detail later. But if you have any questions about any of those that we can start with next week, we'd be happy to answer those. Absolutely. Always. If you know friends that want to in on these lessons but don't have technology, call 304-278-0763 and they can listen to those. I think we've got it set up so I can do both the Sunday morning and the Wednesday night lessons at the same time. So you can pick. Um, we'll see cool. <laughs> this week cool. if that can happen. But that'll be on um, on our phone system and on our YouTube channel uh, either later today or tomorrow um, sometime. Now, what if you have a dial in? What, what yeah. if you have the old dial? You can have system? the rotary dial. Rotary dial. Two. Still do it. <laughs> Two. Seven. It'll take you longer, but you can do it. But on the choice, is does it is it a beep sound? Or, uh, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> See you guys. Thank you all. Bye.